I'm high, deep in the arboreal forest of Massachusetts in a clapboard red shed in an unknown location. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly are. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, fuck, I just beard all over the microphone. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) An explosion of beer. This is Mad Cop. I'm uh, Normal Andy. This is producer uh, Chris. Oh, yeah. And uh, we also have on the Tubs and Skins. uh, Ed Guild. Thank you. Yeah. Otherwise known as Ed Gould. And then we and then we have a uh, Ed Guild or Ed Giles. (laughs) I get them all. Ed Giles. And we have uh, we have a guest in the shed today. Oh, we have a. Oh, yeah. And today we're interviewing our brother. (laughs) interview everyone's been asking for clamoring no he's a he's a tripper he's a tripper he's a space cadet he's a uh a psychonaut he's a artist he's a musician he's a uh actor he's a song and dance man yeah phil restino how are you doing He's a, he's, he's a regular old Davy Jones. I would say I would really, I'm a real Davy Jones. I would say he's definitely more interesting than the rest of us. Anyway, oh God, that's so much pressure, man. Yes. Uh, you're very interesting, Carl. No, oh, right, right. Very I'm Why are you making quotation marks when you say that? <laughs> I, I just I have I have palsy and my fingers just do that. You're palsy. A palsy. Oh, okay. I'm a palsy. I'm a palsy. Oy. All right, so I mean, we can just go into this freaking interview. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. or tell us about yourself. Or well, you... I'm gonna be 50 years old in a few days. Amazing. How's 50, that feel? your fucking wow. brother. Did I introduce you correctly? Actor, singer, songwriter, philatelist, philanthropist. No, philatelist. Chris, what's a philatelist? Uh, stamp collector, I believe. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a philatelist, actually. But I just like yes. saying it. He's a Phil <laughs> Adalist. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Phil Adalist. Um, yeah, I'm an actor. I'm an artist. I'm a, uh, I sing. I write lyrics. I can play the drums sometimes. Uh, I write. I do lots of shit. I, I paint people's houses to make money. That's yeah, you the- were telling me about uh, painting murals in the winter in New York City. I mean, there was definitely points where I was, uh, my first 10 year stint in New York City, I was painting murals on and off for this, uh, this arts collective called Shashama. They were based at a 42nd street, uh, right in Times Square. The, uh, the woman who ran Shashama, Anita Durst, her family, um, owns lots of properties all over New York City. And, um, uh, I, I, I actually got, uh, I, I started working with that group of, uh, they were like an arts collective and she would, when they weren't renting the properties, they would give them to her and she would turn them into art spaces, galleries or um, theaters. They would turn them into makeshift theaters, all different kinds of cool stuff like that. Like um, one of the theaters on 42nd Street used to be a peep show place and it still said peep show on the outside. It was pretty funny. Um, so, uh, and I got hooked up with that group because I had been doing, a um, 
Anita Durst had. Um, this is a weird story, but I'll get. I'll get to it. it. I'll get to it. Anita Durst had been part of a group called Dar Aluz, and that was headed by um, uh, this uh, Iranian director from Los Angeles named Reza Abdo, who's dead now. But um, he was this incredible expressionistic uh, theater director. Um, he was dying of uh, HIV and would make these the most insane expressionistic theater pieces with like sword fights and people jumping out of freezers and uh, one, one, one show was about a love story between Andy Warhol and Jeffrey Dahmer um, and yeah. they would just have they, they would just it would just be chaos from the word go in all these different makeshift spaces in New York City um, and uh, just riveting from the moment the plays would start until they ended and just an onslaught of visual imagery and movement and music and insanity. And um, it was just like watching someone's mind just vomit up ideas. Um, and so my uh, when I was in college, I went to Skidmore College and my theater company, we got really into this guy Reza Abdo to the point where we actually went down to New York City and helped build one of the sets for one of their shows. Um, and so this woman, Anita Durst, had been an actress in Reza's uh, company. And uh, later on, I, I got hooked up with her and her group Shashama and they cast me as the lead in this play on 42nd Street called Grey Language, which was about uh, um, uh, Wilhelm Reich, who discovered orgone energy. Yeah. And uh, it was a play called Wilhelm Reich in Hell. And they took that and they they combined that with other text and stuff and turned it into this play called Grey Language. And I played Wilhelm Reich and I was like, I was hung naked at the beginning of the play. I saw that. Show, yeah, you saw that? I think I was at that show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I died at the beginning of the play, hung by a noose naked. Where was this? This is on 42nd Street. I was there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then I go to hell, and so it's just a series of being all these weird vignettes and being tortured in hell and trying to yeah, be... Yeah, oh, it was super intense. It was really that. intense and crazy, and that's how I got hooked up with Anita Durst, and eventually, after I stopped performing with that group, I uh, she would hire me to paint murals, and so I spent months, like, and sometimes in the winter time on Forty Second Street, sometimes up on a uh, up on a two story lift, painting on the sides of the buildings. Um, and sometimes it would get really cold out. I would do it all night because they wouldn't let me paint during the day. So I'd stay up all night on 42nd Street painting, which is as insane as you think it would be. <laughs> but sometimes the paint would get really thick because it was yeah. too cold to paint. And you'd, I'd be out there like freezing, trying to paint murals yeah. on the side of these buildings. <laughs> and the paint would no longer, it wouldn't work anymore. Were there, were there crazy stuff you saw while you were at that vantage point? Um, yeah, you know, you'd run into weird stuff. I think one of the, the most upsetting thing was when I was uh, up on the lift, two stories up, and these guys, these drunk guys, were walking by and they started playing with the lift. Oh, shit. Oh, so I was up on it and it started moving up and down. <laughs> so I'm up there yelling at them, hey, get away from that, you know? <laughs> You, there would always oh, be God. moments where I'd be worried that the lift would just fall backwards oh, into 42nd Street. And you're trying to create art. Too, yeah. So that's kind of distracting. Right, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've seen some of his murals. They're super intense. They are they are pretty intense. Yeah. And they, and 
How long oh, did they stay up there in New York City, or did they get painted over? Well, the, that uh, I painted a bunch of murals in that block, on that block, and that entire block. The reason they let me paint on the second story of that building a gigantic mural. It was a giant eye with a big whirlpool yeah. in the middle of it, and all these things coming out of it. And they let me do that because those that entire block was going to get torn down. So I. Within a year's time, that entire block had been destroyed. So all my murals were gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sort of goddess in that right. way. You know what I mean? Like art right. meant to be, art created to die. So that was like, you knew it was going to get torn down or no? I think I did actually at the time. Wow. Yeah. That would have been like 2003 because I remember uh, Outcast being really popular. I remember listening to uh, <laughs> The Love Blow. Speaker box, that double album that they put uh-huh. out while I was painting. I was talking about this is is like when you're creating art, you can look back at the art you created and remember what was happening in your life when you created that piece. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've been creating art my whole life and like it, it's like almost like it triggers like a feeling, oh yeah, this is what this is where I was living. This is who I was hanging right. out with. Right. You know what I mean? Right. This is what I knew. Yeah, it's like a. But when I see, you know, and, and it, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I've been having an experience like that lately. Um, lately, I've just been working as a house painter, which is the glamour of being an artist. Um, but uh, sometimes I will be listening to podcasts while I'm painting, and then I'll get. I'll accidentally like trigger the podcast so that it starts over again. Oh yeah. And I'll have to like scroll through to try to figure out where I was, and I'll hear an earlier part of the podcast, and I'll remember a part of the house that I had just been painting like 20 minutes ago. Uh. <laughs> it's weird, but it's it's funny how your mind immediately imprints uh, experiences with um, stimulus. So let's just put it that way. So like a song can or a painting or, you know, something like that can just immediately trigger memory. Because for some reason, I, I always wonder, like, why the memories are selective, why you remember, like, a minute of a memory. You know what I mean? So you you look at a painting that you made, and it triggers, like, this one-minute memory that you had from 10 years ago when you were making the painting. Yeah, and yeah, I always yeah. wonder why that section of memory. Well, I mean, like, sometimes I, I think of that as being something that it's almost like, it's a tab because if you then think about it some more, yeah. other stuff will keep coming up. Right. So it's almost like the title or the tab for it, so you can pull it out and start yeah. unraveling all of it. But why that bit specifically? You know what I mean? Like why out of all the memory, just that little tab gets imprinted to that in a stronger way, so that you're prone towards recalling from that point. Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe sometimes it's it's a bunch of things. Like I'll get it sometimes with the smell. Even. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's so it can just be a just a confluence of all the different senses at one point. Yeah, you know, what I was just hearing about is uh, I think it's Mary Steenburgen, the actress, and supposedly yeah. that oh, she's, she's like started... a super memory person, right? No, no, that's the lady from Taxi. Oh, okay. But she has started hearing language as music. So now when people talk to her, she hears it as music. 
And she started composing huh. music since then, and I think she's actually been nominated for an Oscar for some of the. So I heard something weird. Oh, wow. Like if you if you play like something somebody says on repeat repeat multiple times, by the third or fourth or fifth time, like some like a sentence, like if I say I went to the I went to the uh, store, I went to the store. Like, by the, if you play it four times or five times or six times in a row, it all of a sudden starts sounding to your brain like music. So a repeat yeah. of a sentence. Yeah. Huh. They've done this. And it's weird. Your brain just, like, after, like, the fourth or fifth time, it just sounds like a like a, like a weird song or something. Is that, like, like hypnosis? Like, somehow related to that? Like, it puts you into a trance state or something? Yeah. Yeah. Good. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, especially with popular music, the experience is always about the repetition of the thing. You know, like the weird thing about like a popular song is that you can, if you like it, you can listen to it 70 times, yeah. you know, for some reason. And you're still like, either you're reliving a, a, a feeling that you get from it, or it's sparking new levels of experience and feeling from the same repeated phrase or song itself. And for some reason, the novelty doesn't wear out, you know, I don't, uh, eventually maybe, but I'm always fascinated that you can re-experience songs specifically in, in new and novel ways every time you listen to them. And for some reason, the good ones have, make new impressions on your brain every time you listen to it. Yeah, and I, th I think some of that can be the complexity of them too, is that as you listen to a song more, if you discover more within it, it'll last mm. longer like I, I i remember you know especially when i was in high school there were some albums that would come out and that's kind of like it would be from a band that i like and i'd be it'd be maybe say their second or third album and i'd listen to it and i'd be like that's pretty good but it's not as good as the first one and then if you asked me like two weeks later after i'd listened to it a bunch i'd be like wow this is so <laughs> much better than the first one you know? <laughs> yeah. but it took me a while to get into it yeah, your brain has to somehow adjust to it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Now, Chris, you were a real big influence on us musically, I would say, when we were kids. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> no regrets. It's okay. Um, but I just remember that you definitely inspired a lot, even from... Even with like, uh, one of my first big bands was Kiss and I really, I seem to remember <laughs> you even having like Kiss Alive 2 or something like that. Yeah, and they were, when I was, they were the first like rock band I got into and I must right. have been like fifth grade, I think. Yeah, yeah I would have been yeah. maybe seven or something like that. Yeah, so yeah they were early. Band. Like when yeah. I first started listening to the radio, um, I think it was Kiss and Sticks. Yeah, I listened to like in fifth grade. Yeah. So, so I get a great story about Sticks. Um, so we we um, we were at my sister's wedding and it was down south. Oh, yeah. Where was it? <laughs> North Carolina. Uh, oh yeah. And and um, Harborough, North Carolina. And and so we we all went out to a bar afterwards, and. Uh, so, so we're in a bar, and they all of a sudden had a singing contest, like a karaoke contest. 
and Phil. This is right after our sister has just been married. It was done the same married. evening. It's the same day. Right, she just right. got married. And so a bunch of the people from the wedding party went to this bar. We all went to a bar, right? And there's a bunch of rednecks, and there's us, right? We all got up and sang, right? And uh, Phil came up and he... Oh, well, wait, he, what did you sing, Carl? I, <laughs> I, I sung... Oh, I was awful. I sung 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. 50 Ways <laughs> to Leave Your Lover. It was great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, what did exactly like Cousin like Michael sing? You remember? He sang a Wham song. Oh, is that what he sang? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, Phil sings the song. I forget what the first song you sang. The first song I sang was Patience by Gun Okay. And this other kid, what the, what the this, this other guy? Dude. Okay, the old guy. He yeah. got up and he sang What a Wonderful World. Is that what I, it was? I yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you and remember he, that? And, yeah. yeah, and he sang it like as close to Louis Anderson. Yeah, he was like, like, What a Wonderful World. Louis Armstrong, not so, Louis So, yeah, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear the Louis Anderson version. I want to hear the I'd be too. So, so, it was a t- so at, at the end yeah. of the night, the, the announcer comes on and it's like, It's a tie. Between the Guns N' Roses guy and the and the Louis Anderson guy, Louis Armstrong, get it straight. And they go, they have to have a sing-off. And, you, and we're like, holy shit! And by this time, we're and, fucking and so, hammered. And then also, just another aspect of this is this was like a regional thing, and there was like a prize. There was a prize, and then whoever won went off to like perform in this bigger thing. Yeah, yeah everyone right. was supposed to come back and compete in another something or other. Right, like a, uh, right, right. And so we've just rolled into town. And then so, so they go, the thing off was, so the Louis Anderson comes, guy comes back on and he sings the exact same song. He right? sings What a Wonderful World as Louis Armstrong as again. Louis, again, again. And everybody's like, whatever. <laughs> So Phil rolls up and like he's very uh, versatile. So he breaks into Sticks Renegade. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he did a great version. And we're like fucking yelling at the top. Right. We're all drunk and we're hammered. And, and and like he's like like uh, he just just blows it out of the water. Like maybe the best version of Renegade. And fucking he <laughs> wins the fucking contest. Well, but he also, oh, I, it was kind of might have been unfair because I feel like they chose the winner by audience reaction. No, no, but he did blow it out of the water. He did blow it out of the water than that guy. The guy. Yeah, no, way better. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. No, no, no. He, and plus, Phil chose another song. If you heard Renegade, you know Chris, you know Renegade, I stick. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a fucking rock tune. It's like hardcore. And like the way it breaks in, it's like. Uh, it like starts out slow and it builds. You yeah, pick the right, yeah, yeah, you yeah. pick the correct song. The, the greatest part thing for me was when I was singing it was watching all you guys freak out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then you just are we all? You know, you, I think. Yeah. I think you guys you were drew, all rocking out. It was really I think fun you to drew watch. from our energy. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and then it just he just blew yeah. it out of the fucking water. And they gave. I don't think they I wanted a to give. T-shirt. I think I want a T-shirt. And they're like, and you can come back for finals. And Phil's like, eh. So we're like, we're out of this town. We're never coming back. <laughs> like, 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 so we won and we left. And we're like, fucking, yeah. But that all happened because of our love for sticks, Chris. Yeah, because yeah, of sticks. Well, you know, it's, I'm a big fan. I only have one karaoke song that I sing. 
Oh, well, I'll down too. But I actually was working on a photo shoot in Dover, Delaware, and staying at a Holiday Inn. And after this long day work, I decided to just go get drunk by myself at the bar of the Holiday Inn. And they were doing karaoke. And I got drunk and I got up there by myself and I made it to the finals of that night. Which was <laughs> like, and I was like, oh crap. And, um, but the song is, this is my key. I go out and, or at that point, I could actually still do it at the bar. I chain smoke three or four cigarettes and then uh-huh. you, you go with Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap oh, wow. ACDC. Wow. That's the easiest way to like. Really? Do a, yeah, that's a, that's a go-to karaoke thing. Well, you if you your, smoke. Your voice all thrash. Yeah, right. yeah, you totally thrash it. You're dead, you're dead. Yeah. And but the thing is, you can really only do it once or twice a night because after that, your throat is just so. Would want to hear you do it twice uh, a night. Oh well, that was yeah. I don't know. People like cheer you on. <laughs> Why would you do, do it, it twice a night? Did you do it more than once? Uh, no, no. I, it's I actually even like voluntarily gave up my spot to go. <laughs> um, but then my my other go-to one. And this was when there used to be a there used to be this live band around Chicago that did live band karaoke all the time at a bar I went to. And um, wait, they, I, people used to gather in bars. Well, no, it was a band. So instead of He's having a about karaoke machine, there, was there would bars, there would people. be a band, and mm-hmm. the band would be playing live, and you yeah. would be the lead singer for that band. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but their their playlist wasn't nearly as long as like a karaoke machine. So I mean, it was impressive. It was really impressive. But um, with them, the song that I always went to was um, "The Boys Are Back." Boys are back in town. By oh, Thin nice. Lizzie. That's nice. another. That's, that's another one that you just rasp it out. You just go, yeah, yeah. And um, plus, it's got a lot that, of a lot of lyrics in that song. Yeah, there are. There are. And He's this is before wordy. cell phones. This is before you could look up lyrics on cell phones. Um, I think they gave you lyric sheets, though. Yeah, yeah, they, they did. did. Yeah, they did. They, they did. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but um, yeah, that those are the only two. I always thought Lou Reed was really easy to sing karaoke, but he isn't. I, I never <laughs> really quite nailed that, but I would try that sometimes. So, um, I, I uh, patience was one of my go tos. Um, eventually, uh, uh, don't stop believing was a good one. Oh yeah, and uh, wanted dead or alive. I always like doing that one as well. Oh yeah, dude. Those yeah. are those are good cl- crowd pleasers, you know. I actually, uh, I was in a murder mystery show in San Francisco, um, and it was an improvised murder mystery dinner theater show, and people would show up, and you'd be there'd be these actor plants, which I would be one of them, and they'd put you uh, at a table. With the people who had paid to be at the murder mystery show. Were you in a pot? No, 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 not a plant, like a, not like a fica. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no, like a, uh, a uh, someone who has been placed there who's who's a faker. Okay. And so you're pretending to be a normal person and sitting. The worst part of these uh, performances were that you'd have to sit there for like a half an hour before the show would start and lie to people. Yeah. At a dinner at a dinner table, what which is mean? exhausting. Like, well, you'd have to pretend like you weren't a character in the show. Did you well, how make did stuff you do up? That? Or, how do you do yes, that? you just lie. Why are you sitting at a table with people? It's a, well, that's a good question. Because he's a plant. He's a, because he's I'm a plant. No, no. So 
so like, then the murder mystery range kick wait, off. Could you could you tell me? Did they rearrange? Did you sit with strangers in yes. the tournament? Yes. So they put people... Yes. Like, if you come in with a group, what do they do? Split you all up? No, like, they put the group at a table, but then sometimes not enough people would fit in around one single so table. So there'd be in. a few groups or a few bunches of couples. Bunch of couples so how would you lie to people? Like I can't remember, but you'd have to sit there for like a half an hour or more and just lie about who you, you were and what you were doing were? there. Could you, could you say where you were? Well, you're supposed to be in characters. Oh. So when you what break out character? into... Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't even remember. But the, the, th the reason that I brought this up is because at some point, they, they the, the, the host of the show would be like, so did somebody want to sing a song? And I'd have to pretend like, hey, yeah, I have a song. And then I'd get up and I'd sing Don't Stop Believing. Oh, sweet. <laughs> That's part of the show. Uh oh. You know? Uh, maybe so one the time. Whole I was reason you're there is to sing the song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe shit. one time I was there and I was the actual murderer. Nice. Maybe so I think they, one time they figure out who the murderer. Well, like you give a, you, you'll do like they'll come in, they'll introduce the show, sort of, and then the murder will happen, and then it'll they'll like give a few clues and then they'll go back to leave the, the people to their first course and so they're all talking about what happened and you're you're, and you're still sitting at the table sitting right? at the table eating yeah. pretending to not to, to be a regular person and uh but then you're supposed to be as one of the characters you're supposed to kind of drop some clues to the people there and they'll start asking you questions because maybe they'll start to figure out that you're a character right and then uh, the next part of the murder mystery will happen and the next you know more character revelations will happen and um and then they go back to their second course and they try to figure out more stuff until eventually you know the the uh the murder is revealed so the, but the audience doesn't solve it they just i don't remember if they actually solve it or not i you know and there was one point where i used to do it on a boat out in the bay i was gonna ask you that yeah, yeah. So you're in san fran and you did it on a boat. yeah yeah so you, they take you out on a boat with like a group of people and you'd have to do the whole murder mystery thing on a boat and then you'd have to go like if you die you have to just go hide Somewhere you on have the to boat. throw yourself off the side of the boat. You have to literally you have to, like, drown. You have to yeah. tie a cement block yeah, to your leg. Yourself. You know, throw yourself into the ocean. Right, right, right. And then resurrect yourself later. Yes, which I have the power to do. Yeah. Right, because I'm you're a wizard. Does. Right, I'm a wizard. But you've done a lot of different types of improv and stuff. You've been doing yeah. improv since college, right? Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of different and, things. And then in, in, in second grade, you were probably... No, you were Snoopy. Snoopy. Third grade. Third grade. Mm -hmm. He was Snoopy and he just blew the show out of the fucking water. That was the... Well, you know, the thing I always think about uh, for that show was... Uh, so we all went to the same elementary school. Chris, you went to JFK, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. And um, the stage at the elementary school was in the cafeteria. And there was one day when we were rehearsing the You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown show as a third graders. And people started coming into the cafeteria to eat lunch. Oh, man. And the, the teacher wanted me to sing my song at practice in front of all these you're people were coming day. in. And I wouldn't do it. And she got really pissed at me. Well, what the fuck? You're in third I know. Yeah. I know. She didn't exactly. figure that out. She got yeah. mad at me. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah, it was bullshit, man. 
I remember. You never yeah. worked in that town again. No, never again. <laughs> no, I, and they had a real doghouse on the stage, and I had to figure out how to lie on the top edge of the doghouse. Wow. Did they make oh. it flat at all? No. So, no, so they didn't. No. So no optical illusions. No. It was just pain. <laughs> you guys, you guys yeah. want to know where my? Yeah. You want to know where my life went wrong? Uh, <laughs> I rolled in. The, I rolled in the first fucking grade, and. Um, and I, I don't know, I forget if I missed the first day of first grade, so I rolled into the second day of first grade. Mm. And um, <laughs> so it was snack time, and I didn't know what snack time was, right? So fucking everybody's eating their snack, <laughs> and I pull out a sam, my sam, and I'm like, okay, everybody's eating snack. Right? I pull out my sandwich, I start eating my sandwich, and everybody turns to me and like, you're not supposed to eat fucking your sandwich and snack. And then the teacher goes, you're not supposed to eat your sandwich and snack. Oh. And I, everybody's looking at me. After that, I was never the <laughs> Maybe I was crazy before. That's then. what screwed you up? No, I doubt it. But I, I vividly <laughs> remember. That's a vivid memory, though. Uh, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right, right. I was I'm sure trying. it didn't help. It didn't start it. Yeah, no, it, it didn't. didn't it didn't. It didn't start it. I was probably like, like I remember. I remember being like in in grade school, and I would I would just like kind of like go off and start imagining like there was a nuclear war, and I'm and I thought like, hey, maybe I'm here by myself, and like everything, <laughs> everything an illusion uh-huh. into the nuclear war. So no, nothing has changed. Yeah. Right. Hey, right. Hey, yeah. Maybe I'm just sitting in a fucking like, bunker somewhere by myself doing a podcast. Okay, wait, so that reminds me of what I, the book I brought. Okay. I wanted to do this experiment on the show. So Carl mentions a nuclear war, so that reminds me of like the apocalypse of the future. And uh, this friend of mine just gave me this book. It's called Rogues. By this woman named Penny Kelly, and uh, you can find her on YouTube. She's like a nice sort of Midwestern lady, um, but she had these Kundalini experiences where her she had like uh, essentially you can have these spiritual experiences where the energy rises up your spine, and it it begins the process of becoming enlightened. And she started having these experiences spontaneously. I don't know how old she was, but I bet she was like in her 30s or something like that. And um, she started having all these psychic abilities and and out-of-body experiences and all this weird stuff started happening to her. And and she was in very much like in denial of it all for a while. And then eventually she learned to accept it and deal with it. And so one of the weird things that started happening to her was that that these people in brown robes started approaching her and showing her pictures and maps of the future. Um, And and they were essentially telling her, like, this is what is probably going to happen to your future. And you can potentially change this if you make the right kind of choices and stuff. But um, she's sort of like online now on YouTube, like talking about her experiences. And she talks about these robes guides that um, um, that the messages that she got from them are there as sort of like warnings for us as to what might happen to our society if we don't like the duck this way or that way, you know, or do this, you know, you know, make different kinds of choices or whatever. So 
you were talking about a, a nuclear war that just reminded me of that idea and so i wanted to do this experiment where you guys ask a question and i have not read this book i literally just got it you ask a question maybe ask a question about something about the future and i'll just open a random page and read what it says and we'll see if it's good um yeah when, when do i get my moon vacation Okay. <laughs> All right, open it up and read a page. All right, I am now about to. Can we have a drum roll? I'm going to open the page. Here we go. I guess no drum roll. Wait, I have a drum roll. Okay. Hey, pause. Pause. Right. Okay, good. That was an excellent drum roll. All right. <laughs> That's it. All right, Looks here like we go. So I'm opening up to page 128. Uh, and it says, returning to the rule of thumb for creating that was suggested a moment ago, we would like to emphasize one point. The idea that no new bodies should be created until the group responsible for the new human understands its responsibilities and death is a most important one. Note that we did not say parents, neither did we refer to a new mother or and father. This is because it is time to evolve beyond the belief that the woman who gives birth to a child owns that child, or that the nuclear family of mother and father is the ideal setting into which the child should be born. So that has nothing to do with the moon whatsoever. This reminds me of something we would do. It does have the word nuclear. Let's not do this book thing. That book is okay. too fucked up. It, it seems kind of like the Urantia book. Yeah, maybe. That's a humongous book. Oh, yeah. 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 Have you ever yeah, tried I to actually, read it? Oh, not only did I... For our listeners, can you guys talk a little bit about what that is? The Ranch Dressing? What? It's... The Urantia book is... There was a dentist, I think in the 1930s, who had a series of visions. And that, that happened in Chicago. Dentist. A dentist. Uh-huh. And... Um, he wrote them all down. And it's really divided up into things like... The, the heavens are the universe and different stars and parts of universes are ruled by different angels and they all have a hierarchy and so they're just like diagrams and like organizational tables throughout the wazoo and this whole thing nice and um did you read the whole book uh, pretty much. So this was a job. <laughs> it's a humongous book. It's like well over a thousand pages. So, but what I had to do was I basically had to do a proposal. Actually, I was hired to do like information architecture and usability studies of how to rebuild the website and put the book on the web. So okay. I had to design. I had to diagram out. Um, proposals for how to organize the book online and how to be able to access it. So yeah, I basically had to read the whole thing and then organize all of it. And I mean, oh my God. Did you know what you were getting into when you you took the gig? 
Um, well, I, it wasn't a. It was a company I worked for, so I had no say in whether or not oh. we got the gig. We wow. got the gig, and then people were like, "Oh my god!" And they were like, "Oh yeah, Chris does that," and I was in charge of all information architecture and all that stuff at that point. And so yeah, so it got thrown on my plate. And for the first few days, it was really kind of fun. Like, whoa, this book is wild! Look at yeah. all this stuff in here. And yeah, and then like by the third week, it was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. And, I just, yeah. Is there uh, something, a specific little bit that you remember from that that really stuck in your head? There was a lot of, to me, it was all things here. I, there, okay, let's see. Here, I just looked something up online on it. it this is a, a sample passage. Um, these six groups of glorified beings compose this unique body of eternal destiny. We think we know their future work, but we are not certain. While the core of mortal finality is mobilizing on paradise, and while they now so extensively minister to universes of space and administer the world settled in light and life, their future destination must be now organizing universes of outer space. At least, that is the conjecture of Uversa. <laughs> that's what the whole book is like. And that's a dentist who wrote that. And you read it? Well, yeah, he had visions. Yeah. I don't know. It yeah. was very weird. But yeah, the book is thousands of pages like you that. You read this? Uh, that was a very good early. I did. I don't know. Did you I understand mean, what the fuck was happening? Well, I mean, I did a lot of stuff like this for other companies, and but it was stuff like, I don't know, grain trading or something, and it would be a thousand pages of oh my god, how you deal with Holy grain crap. and then map it all out. And I generally do this stuff in a room with a huge whiteboard, and I just wow. draw all this stuff and then take photos of it, then look at those on my computer and turn those into diagrams and spreadsheets and yeah. That's so, crazy. so I dealt. I dealt with things that size before and getting them organized and figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So, so I want to hear. I'm going to go off the subject a little bit. Yeah. I want to yeah. hear the story about Phil in Prague. This is the the story. You go into ah. Prague and you guys did a play mm. in Prague. Was this related to the Wilhelm Reich? The Wilhelm Reich stuff. Pre, pre that. Oh okay. no, okay. Pre you, that. you gotta like, you, and you gotta set the whole stage. What year was this? Um, ninety four. The year was nineteen ninety four. Yeah. The year was nineteen ninety four. Um, it's such a crazy story. Yeah, uh, go into it. We got we got about twenty minutes. So, <laughs> so uh, I was done with college by then. Um, uh, and, uh, I, I just finished college that the year before and, um, was really heartbroken and had a, uh, had, I had fallen in love with this girl and it had gone really terribly <laughs> and I was very, she European? No, she was not. That was a different girl. Oh, okay. Uh, but, uh, I was really heartbroken and I traveled across the country. I visited our sister out in Seattle. And um, I took buses all the way across the country, which nice. is insane. I wouldn't have recommended. Um, yeah. But um, 
Um, while I was across the country, a bunch of, uh, a few of the guys that I had gone to college with, they wanted to start a theater company. And so in the dead of winter in 1994, in Saratoga Springs, where I went to college, the, this one guy rented a raw commercial space in the downtown uh, in Saratoga. And they started just screwing around in the space, like trying to figure out what to do and starting to make weird theater. And um, so I showed up in the dead of winter and joined this theater company. And uh, it was a bunch of people that I had been in school with and some of them were still in school. Um, and one of the people in the group was the girl that I had been in love with as well. Okay. Um, so I stupidly joined this group. <laughs> like a dumbass. Like a real dumbass yeah, yeah, and yeah. tortured myself over this girl for a year. It was okay. really yeah, stupid. I wouldn't, also wouldn't recommend doing that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. so we started doing theater in this Roth space in the downtown in Saratoga and we started doing experimental theater. Yeah. Um, and uh, we would do really weird shows and and we started, you know, People were digging what we were doing, and the kids from the college would all come and watch. And um, uh, we were really going out on a limb, you know, doing these weird expressionistic shows. And like one show, we were all covered in mud and uh, and, and stomp dancing. And another show, there were these. Uh, we made these harps out of paper mache and put packets of uh, plastic bags filled with red dye in them and poked holes in them so they drip blood throughout the entire show. Right. Um, and uh, one show we did, we performed, we performed all night long. We just improvised. We had a party, but we were improvised performing with music and movement and theater and stuff like that for an entire evening. So that went like 12 hours long. We would, do school, we would do shows on the campus at Skidmore as well, and it was just nuts, man. We were just nuts doing all this crazy stuff. Eventually, we went to New York City, and we did happenings in front of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where we we spontaneously all started showing up in front of the Met, and people were dressed in these weird costumes, and people had, like, big fishing poles that were going into the fountains, and... Uh, me and this other girl got up on top of an ice cream truck and we started announcing texts that we had memorized. And um, it was just this, we did these crazy performances. We did one on a giant farm in Philadelphia as well. And uh, it all culminated. Suddenly the director was like, okay, let's go to Prague. So by the end of the summer of that same year, 1994, we're all like, yeah, we're going to Prague. And, and, and let's set the stage for people uh -huh. who don't understand what Prague was like in 1994. Yeah. What was Prague like in 1994? So the, the, the Berlin Wall fell in 89? 89. And on my birthday, 1989, okay. Berlin Wall fell. So well, then, I made the wish. Yeah. <laughs> So, so communism ended in Prague then as well. Yeah. In Czech, in Czechoslovakia, which had split into Slovakia and Czech, Czech Republic or Prague. So, um, Prague is newly open to the West and to capitalism, and it's and it's in its like third year or so, third okay. or fourth year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all that. Um, 
and uh, and Prague is Bohemia. It's like where Bohemia right. comes from. They invented Pilsner in Prague. Oh, did they? Yeah, they invented. No, they Pilsner. they invented it in Pilsen. Where's fucking Pilsen? Where's Pilsen's that? In- that's in Czechoslovakia, or, you know, in the Czech Republic. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. Yep. No, I mean, I didn't mean Prague. They they invented Pilsner in Czechoslovakia. Oh, the Czech Republic. Yeah. The Czech Republic. So, so in the advent of glass, they wanted to invent a beer that you could that would look pretty in glass. So when they invented see-through glass, they invented Pilsner. So we can go back to this. I knew we'd eventually talk about beer. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yes. All things come back to beer. Um, so we're we're so so. Prague is 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 uh, Bohemia essentially. Right. So it's this combination of these really old, beautiful structures all over the city. Prague had been untouched by World War II. It had not been destroyed by World War II. So there's all these incredible works of architecture all over Prague. Really old old looking. And uh, and but then the the people there, especially the young people, are essentially hippies. Right. Like they're kind of going through their they're 60s. Bohemians. Yeah. They're going through their sixties. Right. Right. Because you know? they they had no contact with the Western world. Right. Like eighty right. nine was the first right. time. The beginning. So so they're like hippies. Yeah. Like yeah. like what were the people like? Like just go like they just were, they were cool. I mean, they were friendly, and they were art, there was a lot of theater and art and stuff like that going on there but they also have this attitude of like you kind of feel like the beaten downness of them as well right you know what i mean so they're sort of blase about it they're like fuck you yeah 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 but they weren't french but yeah you're right (laughs) but there's a sort of a blase attitude towards things at the same time yeah 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 (laughs) but they're but they're excited and i think they're very open to people coming and and people love to drink beer there, and there's really good beer. Because they invented building. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess the director and maybe some other people find out like that it's cheap to go there, right? And that it's this wonderful place, and they're like, we're gonna go there and do street theater, right? So we start planning. Cool, we're gonna go there and we're gonna do street theater all over Prague. So we build, we get together costumes and props and stuff like that, and we load it all into a plane. And we fly to Prague in two groups. Uh, so it's probably somewhere between 15 and 20 people total in the group. And we get there and uh, maybe the first night there, a bunch of people buy this LSD that has, uh, uh, um, who's the guy who invented LSD? Uh, no, no, no. The guy on the bike. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. He's from Sanders. What's his name? It's, um... Uh, anyway, that guy, he's on the tabs of acid riding a bicycle. Albert Hoffman. Yeah, Albert Hoffman. Yeah, 50th yeah. anniversary Albert Hoffman acid. Okay. And my friends, they buy this from somebody on the street. The first night we're there, and a bunch of the group, they take LSD. Okay. The first night we're there, and they freak out and wander all over the city streets. Because it's hardcore acid. It was really strong acid, yeah. and I didn't do it. I didn't do it, because I was like, this would be too intense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not going to do this for yeah. the first right. night. Anyway. When you're in another, another, when you first roll into another country, it's uh-huh. like you're in acid anyway. Right, essentially. So it's right. Right. And it's like Disney, it's like this weird version of Disneyland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, anyway, so. 
we get there, we get a few apartments to live in, and we're living all on top of each other. So there's like seven to eight to ten people in one apartment. And these are apartments that you can rent that are look essentially look like they look like they've been abandoned, as if the people who live there had just like fled the country one day. Because they're filled with their furniture, and the the drawers are all filled with stuff, and like you know what I mean? Like these yeah, are yeah, yeah. full on. They look like people had just been living there and had left. We're living in these apartments, and we get it together, and we start implementing the plan. And the plan is to do a twelve or thirteen day long play. All over the city street, <laughs> and we have texts from like the Dadaists and the Expressionists and the Surrealists and stuff like that that we've memorized. And we, what we do is, people get into costumes, and some of the costumes are like made out of like a chain link fence. And um, uh, some people are just wearing like suits. Some some of the women in the group are wearing these big flowing dresses. Um, and, and so we're all we're all dressed like weirdos, right? right. And we split off into groups. What is what are people in Prague dressed like? Normally? People, but they, the fashion is sort of like twenty years behind. So so like what describe a normal person in Prague? Like like a Prague. It sort of looked like the eighties a little bit. So they have like Aizad shirts. I don't or, like, remember. Douchebag. I don't remember. Yeah, right. Okay. Honestly, I don't remember. What they okay, that's okay. Dressed. This Go is on. the early nineties. Okay. So, oh, but yeah, their fashion sense is slack. Yeah, right, it's behind. Yeah. Sort of. They have plaid pants. And... Probably. Yeah, right. But I probably had plaid pants. Yeah. Pants, so. I like that. So we start splitting off into groups, and we I was split off with a friend of mine, and he was playing Odysseus, and I was playing Kaiser Wilhelm. So he's dressed in this. Well, describe Kaiser Wilhelm to the Well, he's dressed in this frilly, weird clothing, and he would paint his whole head. He shaved his head bald. He had a Siamese fighting fish tattooed on the back of his head, and he would paint his head like green or yellow, and walk around with a uh, like a monocle. <laughs> and then I was dressed as Kaiser Wilhelm, and Kaiser Wilhelm was the last Prussian emperor who started World War One. And so I'm wearing a marine coat that I had. <laughs> Put all these designs on, and uh, I put like epaulets on the shoulders, and they, we rented a leather spiked helmet that I would yeah. wear, and I had a big, big fake mustache on, curly up, like yeah, curled up. not curled, but like sticking straight out, almost like Dali or something. Oh, yeah. a big that we glued to my face, and I'd have sort of like jodhpurs and riding boots. Nice. And a sword. I was wearing a sword. Oh, like so a saber. I would walk, yes, <laughs> a saber. Yeah, okay. So I would walk the city streets in a uniform with a spiked helmet and a sword on. And my friend would pretend to be Odysseus, whoever that was. And he was the crazy guy, and he would he would be more adventurous, and we would split off, and he would get us into a lot of trouble. Uh, was he would like climb. There was this one like weird metallic, like forty foot tall structure that was a sculpture in the middle of this one square, and he started climbing up the thing, and, and you could crank the handles, and it would make the structure make noise. Yeah, that's stuff. like super famous. Oh, you do you yeah, know what I've it is? That. I don't remember what it's called, but it's like so he climbed up in that and would start yelling text to me, yeah. and I'd be down on the street running around yelling text back what, to him. Did and you guys? Did anybody speak English? Obviously. Yes. 
We have some people in private. Well, did most people speak whatever the hell they speak for Czech? Yeah. So how did you communicate with people? It didn't, you didn't get A lot of people had a, at least a rudimentary English. Okay. Some of them did. So we would start doing scenes like that. One time we got us into the Italian embassy. So that's a scene. Yeah. Him being crazy. Yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. So you guys dress weirdly. Yeah. So you guys are improv and you're right. not like running around and acting like nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we would come back together again as an entire group in this, uh, like in the midday. Was and it we, planned? Yeah, we would plan to meet in a, in a certain part of town and we would meet in a different part of town every day. And we'd do an entire play that we'd all memorized. We'd come back together as a group and do a play and then split up again and roam the streets in pairs or in small groups and perform. And then come back together in a group at night, and we would—they would like steal light. They would have lights that they would hook up to like street lamps and stuff to light the performances at night. Holy and shit. we would do performances like uh, in these gardens or underneath the bridge or yeah, in front of the clock in, in Old Times Square. We did performances in front of St. Jude's Cathedral. We did performances in front of a castle in another part of Prague, like. We went all over the place and we would do these big performances and sometimes we would draw big crowds. In fact, we even had one night where we did a huge group performance on the King Charles Bridge. Yeah. Which at night is filled with young people drinking. Okay. And we did a play that where the movement of the play was that we were all supposed to move across the entire bridge. And so we thought we were going to get to do a play and instead we were all mobbed by drunk people. What do you mean, Mark? <laughs> we, we, we were split into into small groups of people performing, but it was all of us moving across the bridge. But you'd try to walk, and suddenly you'd be surrounded six people deep by drunk people all looking at you and touching you and, and messing with you. Oh, where? Yeah, it was scary. It was on this bridge. And eventually, like, you know, we had to, like, save some people from our group. Is this before, and, vi like, people had, everybody had a video on their phone? Yeah. So if any of this was taped, like on an iPhone, this would be like the most intense shit you'd ever see. Yeah, and every day and every night, people would get into fights. <laughs> strangers, strangers. <laughs> just no, people, people in my group would get into like weird fights or just chaos. Every day and every night was fucking chaos. This is like the best story. It was amazing. One guy, one guy in the group. He kept on losing pieces of his costume, so every day he'd show up from whatever crazy thing that he had had happened to him with less of a costume on. Uh, eventually, he had pretty much that. Yeah. He just had a cod piece. On yeah, him. yeah. Well, he just was pressed normal by the <laughs> yeah, end of the show. Yeah, he just like by the end of the twelve days. He had days. a nice odd shirt and yeah. flat pants. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, there was a lot of absence drinking that would happen. Absence. I don't know if you've ever had absence. Have you guys ever had absence? Yeah. I haven't had European absence. Yeah. That, that has uh, wormwood in it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So this yeah, was yeah. that. It was green, so green you absence. Tripping. So if you drank enough of it, you were essentially tripping. Right. So that's a trouble troublemaking device right there, you know? Right. Uh, and um, and it was just, uh, just, just chaos. Just chaos every day. So it was just like chaos and... Uh, and we're out there performing as well. We're meeting people and having these crazy adventures. Yeah, yeah, dude. Day and the night. Most intense. Like, it was amazing. I, this is the first time I heard the whole story. Yeah. But 
I just yeah. thought it was like probably the most intense fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. One day a guy, I was walking down the street and I had lost my friend that I was performing with and walking down and I had some weird innate sense of where I was at all times so I always sort of figured out where I was. And I'm walking down the street and this guy walks up to me and starts speaking to me in German and he's a tall, uh, interesting looking man with a mustache and gray hair and he's he, probably in World War One. He's yeah. got a, he's wearing a sword. Yeah, you have a sword. And I'm wearing a sword. Everybody's checking. And he starts cool. talking in German <laughs> and he pulls his sword out of his sheath and points it at me. A like, real sword? Yes. I think he was challenging me to a duel. He was! I think he was. <laughs> and I started going, hey man, I'm an American. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an American. I, I said, do to you, yeah. you bastard. You did not, your improv did, he hit, did not help. No, you. no, you, I, say, you know, I panicked. You know, yeah. Phil's not willing to die for a second. Yeah, no, no, I wasn't willing to get stabbed in the yeah. train frog. Uh, oh, in fact, one of my, known you're gonna hand, one of my mantras in prog was, I will not die. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I might die here, but I don't want to. I will not, I will not. That was my mantra, I will not die here. Um, but anyway, he turned out to be a German film actor, and he took me to some gallery and started showing me pictures. It was weird. So, but, so he was cool. Huh. Was he fucking with you? Do you know? I don't know. He was so serious. It was hard to tell. But, well, he's an actor, though. But he wasn't like a. a but you are not willing to draw your fucking sword. No, that would be insane. Right. I don't know how to sword fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. I am willing to die. That would be stupid. The craziest thing that happened to me there. And I guess, I guess our parents can hear this, but um, eventually at the end of the- so we were Oh, there they've for, shut this podcast Okay, good. At the end they're of the, we stayed yeah, there we for- tell them yeah. We stayed there for three months. Some of the people left before the end of the three months. And we got into an underground theater and we're doing performances in the underground theater. And at the end of all that, before we were gonna go back to the States, I still had my Albert Kaufman at Nice. And I knew these guys, uh, there was one guy in the group who had joined the group from Australia. And we had made a couple friends from yeah, from Prague. And there was another guy who was German or something. And they all wanted to get after together. All right. So they go out, we go out and they find some acid. And it turns out it's some sort of national holiday. And they live from there, so they're like, let's get on the truck. So we all take our acid. I took my acid. We get on this bus and it seems like the bus is just going down, 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 circling, going down to somewhere, and it's getting dark out, and people are breaking out champagne on the bus because it's a holiday, and it's really crazy. Um, and when we get out, we get let out in the middle of this little town outside of Prague. And I'm, and I'm tripping by then, like I'm watching buildings move on their own, stuff like that. I remember jumping onto a statue and trying to read the book that the statue was holding and the book was, didn't say anything. Right. Anyway, they start taking us, we start walking across like the countryside in this little town. And uh, I started having these really weird, uh, they brought us down to a water basin at the bottom of the town where this, every town would have like a basin of water and I don't know why. And I remember hearing the town, the water speak to me and it was evil. Oh fuck. Yeah, it was really freaky. And then there was another point in time where we were walking across farmland and I felt really uh, superhuman and I started doing, I started doing front handsprings. 
<laughs> I was running and doing front handsprings. It was crazy. I don't know how I was doing it. I don't I've done why. that shit before. Yeah. I was high. Yeah. I, I one time went in and I tried to do a flip, mm -hmm. but I, I ended up like my hands missed the ground and I skidded on top of my head. Yeah. Like across the grass. That's bad. And you were fine. I was fine. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the the entire trip ended with the sun coming up, and we were we ended up at the end of an airport runway. Nice. Yeah, at the end of a runway, which was closed. The airport was closed because it was a holiday as well. Yeah. And then uh, they we got on a bus and went back to Prague, and within a couple of days I was back in the states. Nice. So I mean, it was just this like. It was like, it, and the group came back and we did like one performance in Philadelphia and then the group broke up because it was such an intense year of performance and stuff like that. Um, and and we were all just these crazy artists trying to push the bounds of what could happen. You know what I mean? And uh, I think by the time we went to Prague and that every day at Prague was just completely insane and we all survived it, but everyone was sort of changed, I think. So by the time we got back to the United States, we were all fried and <laughs> it was pretty wild. Um, I got to step out for one second. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man. Yeah, we can, story. we can pause this. I'm pausing. Yeah. I'm not pausing, I'm not pausing but no. thing no, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Prague <laughs> was crazy at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. It's a friend of mine went over there and she basically spent just a few weeks teaching herself like basic Czech phrases. Cool. And when she got there, they cast her as the ugly American in this like Czech soap opera. Why, oh, and why would so she, she cast as the ugly American? She could speak like a few words of Czech. And so they had a script they called for an American. And the fact that she couldn't speak Czech well at all was great by them and so she was like an actress in a soap opera what, like what year was within it? a week again like about yeah probably like 92 93 something like that yeah were you in check in 92 were you in check no check? no but um polaroid sent over right around that time they sent one of the 20 by 24 cameras to prague so cool yeah what else did she do? Like any other stories from her? Well, she's still there. I'm trying to remember the name of her restaurant. Yeah. She has a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. She and her husband opened a restaurant. Opened two restaurants there. So. Wait. But yeah, no, she's really cool. So. All right, guys. Well, I mean, we're 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 working on an hour right now. So, I mean, that that Phil story was completely fucking intense. That was, yeah. So, yeah. Phil. Uh, Phil, you want to tell everybody? I think we're ending this this show, so uh, you want to tell everybody um, where uh, where they can find you? Yeah, um, I'd say my main website is theseardreams.com, oh. um, which has like acting, uh, film work that I've done on it, uh, artwork that I've done, and music. Also, I have a website, philrestino.com, but that's just an actor, actor website. Um, but also interesting to look at. Nice. You can find me on Facebook. Um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with me. Everybody else? Uh, yeah, I'm still just at uh, Live Fire Cook on Instagram, Facebook, livefirecook.com, all that. Uh, I'm at andyrestino.com. 
you can find me on uh, Instagram at Carl Restano, but also you can do madcarl.com. And Ed, how about you, man? I don't know if I can hear him. I don't think he can hear us. Oh, here he is. Yes. Where, where, where are you at? Where, where can people find you? Transparency. Well, Ed, watch your music. We can't hear anything you said. Oh, it'll come back. No, they probably, probably hear you. Cool, man. Well, thanks. Thanks for right. coming to the edge. Art shed and listening. And get the hell out of the art shed. Uh, <laughs> peace out. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>